You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. It feels good to take somebody else's hype, doesn't it? It's a good thing. The Buffalo Bills thoroughly defeated the Miami Dolphins, taking the lead in the AFC East race because they're tied with the Dolphins, but they have tiebreakers at this point. And sending a significant portion of the Miami fan base into a tailspin because they thought that this was finally the one. This was going to be the passing of the torch. You know what? Bill's been on top for a couple years now. Give us, you know, 16 more years. And then you can complain. The way that the Buffalo Bills had to sit there and have it over and over and over again happen with the New England Patriots. Don't, don't, don't whine to me after a couple years. The Bills be on top. You sick of us already? Come on. You're just sick of Josh Allen because he wins AFC Player of the Week against you all the time. That's probably what it is. I called this episode a stew of stew because, number one, it is the quarterly check-in of QB Stew. For those uninitiated, QB Stew is a proprietary Bruce quarterback metric that I utilize. It's an amalgamation, a composite of QBR passer rating, average net yards per attempt, EPA per play, DVOA, PFF grade, and CPOE. I take the respective ranks of all of the quarterbacks who are eligible. I average those ranks together, and then that provides me a stew ranking. Stu has been successful at predicting quarterback MVPs every single year that I have done it. And I feel good about it. I like it. I think it's a very well-rounded way of looking at quarterback play, specifically efficacy across the NFL. But the reason I called the podcast Stew of Stew is not just because we have that check-in. And just a quick aside, when they went to 17 games instead of 16, I got super mad because then I can't do quarterly check-ins because now it's like four, 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 five. And it just irritates me. It's imbalanced. And... All things should be balanced, let's be honest. But I also have a bunch of little quick hitter topics that feel like you're just throwing stuff into a pot. 
So I was like, okay, well, the episode's about stew, and it has kind of a stewish sort of nature. So I want to call it a stew of stew. And that's what we're going to do. Let's start right here. Preseason lies all the time, but we only know it by like the fifth week. Every single year, by the fifth week, we are all saying to ourselves, my gosh, you remember all those preseason narratives? And then by the time the next preseason rolls around, we're completely ready to buy into all of them. We just get on this cycle over and over and over again. We never actually get ourselves off of the roller coaster because so many preseason narratives have died. So many of them, specifically across the league when it comes to quarterback play look how good Kenny Pickett looked in the preseason he was a stud in the preseason Steelers fans were totally ready to go he and the Steelers offense have been awful then he got hurt CJ Stroud on the other hand looked very in the preseason and has been unquestionably the best rookie quarterback thus far we see it every year but yet every year we continue to believe it and I don't understand If ever there was a lesson to be learned that can be learned early in the season, it is that preseason's a liar. You don't have to wait until week 10, week 11, week 15 before we know preseason's a liar. It's preseason's a liar all the time. Knowing what narratives to attach yourself to and what narratives to not attach yourself to is always really difficult when there's no sample size. But it's also really difficult when you see things that look drastically different from preseason to regular season every single year. And then you see things that look exactly the same. The best way to handle this is just not to react at all. I know that that sounds really terrible coming from a content creator, but the best possible thing to do to preseason is just not to react. Just hope everybody stays healthy. Little observation here and there about specific individual players on specific individual reps. And that's about it. Who's playing with whom? That was one of the discussions we had on this podcast. When you are playing and with whom is far more important than how you're playing because a big part of preseason is trying to predict the 53-man roster. And when it comes to predictability, predictiveness, when and with whom you're playing is far more important than how you're playing. We're just looking at all the wrong things in preseason. But we don't really know it until week five, and then we forget about it the next time the preseason rolls around. So let's learn lessons this time. Let's learn them, and let's do better next time around. The Bills-Dolphins game, if ever there was a game that outlined my preference for coverage over pass rush, this is the game. So this is one of the discussions we've had on this podcast before. I've had a, uh, a debate with Joe Marino, Locked On Bills, about this topic. And that is, if you're making a plurality pie on pass defense, which is more important? Now, obviously, they have to work together. Obviously, you want both. That's the low-hanging fruit. We know this. But if you're making a plurality pie, which one's 51% and which one's 49%? Is it coverage or is it pass rush? Historically, other people have been on the pass rush side. I am in the minority. Most people do not believe this. Most people leave pass rush first. It starts up front. We've all been programmed to say this from our dads and our grandfathers, kind of like run and stop the run, defense wins championships, things like that. But this one 
hasn't quite come around in public consciousness, in my opinion. And this is a great example. The Buffalo Bills pass rush got home against the Miami Dolphins in a way that other pass rushes had not gotten home. But it wasn't because they were getting there faster. It was because Tua was holding the ball longer. Why was Tua holding the ball longer? Because the coverage was good. The pass rush doesn't get there unless the coverage is good. Joe Marino dropped some information on Twitter about how historically Tua's 80-81% first read against the Bills, 57% first read. He was a 2.1 second passer, now he's a 2.5 second passer. That extra half second matters. Holding the ball, looking for your second read, that matters. Because if you don't cover that, you're never going to get there. There is no pass rush in the world that is good enough to get there in two seconds. It just doesn't exist. We have seen quarterbacks like this in Buffalo. Ryan Fitzpatrick did not have a good line. He barely ever got sacked because he hit his back foot and the ball came out. He made the offensive line look so much better than they actually were because he would grip it and rip it, baby. Just throw the ball. And no pass rusher is good enough to get there in two seconds consistently. That's not a thing that happens. There's a reason why pass rush win rate, a win is considered beating somebody in two and a half or less seconds. There's a reason why that number exists because the average time to pressure in the NFL is two and a half seconds. You have to get your quarterback to hold the ball for two and a half or more seconds if you want someone to get home. You just have to. There are certain NFL offenses that will not allow your pass rush to get there. You need the coverage. You can completely erase a pass rush if you have a quick hitting pass game. You cannot completely erase coverage. We can make you hold the ball and then our pass rush will get home. If ever there was a game that demonstrated this, it was this game. My preference for coverage over pass rush arises out of the modern offenses in the NFL and the way that the Miami Dolphins and teams like that are wired. One of the things we saw when the final years of Tom Brady was that his average distance of target was meaningfully down the field, but his trigger was incredibly fast. It's the same thing from Tua. His A dot is actually really high and his trigger is really fast. So they're throwing lightning strikes down the field. The way you're going to stop that is by covering him up. You got to cover him up. If you are a Bills fan, and you think the Dolphins are terrible, then your team just whooped the terrible team. If you're a Bills fan and think the Dolphins are good, then your team just whooped a good team. I've never understood why we do this. I know that fandom is rife with intellectual dishonesty and tribalism and hypocrisy. I get that. But those things are bad, right? We should all agree that we should do less of those things. Those things are intrinsically not good character traits. Yes, we're all hypocrites a little bit. We should try to be less, right? Yes, we're all intellectually dishonest sometimes. We should try to be less, right? This is one of the things that's hilarious about this. Leading up to the game, the two fan bases just talk about how each other's teams are garbage. And then when you win, you celebrate beating a team you just spent all week saying was garbage. Well, wouldn't you rather your team beat a good team? Showing some modicum of respect to the other team and their talents and abilities and the things they've achieved 
Doesn't that make your achievement better? If you're a black belt and you are rolling with a brown belt, is that not more of an achievement than rolling with a white belt? We're talking jujitsu terms right now. Like, isn't that the way it works? So if you spend the entire week talking about how your opponent is trash and then you beat them, you then can't turn around and say, wow, I mean, you know, that's, hey, that's a, that's a good team. That was a really good win. No, it wasn't. You just said they were trash all week. You can't have it both ways. They can't be trash and then also good once you beat them. That, that's not how that works. That, that's not how any of this works. And it's a thing that I'm noticing. The Dolphins are a good team. That's the reason why I'm so excited about this win is because I think the Dolphins are a good team. I didn't spend all week trashing the Dolphins and then at the end going, whew, man, good thing we won. That was a, that's a good team. Uh, you just spent the whole week saying they were trash. Just food for thought on that. And no, that's not a hint that, that Nate's coming back. We'll, we'll do it at some point. We'll, we'll bring Nate back for another food for thought, but not now, not now. One of the other topics that was percolating its way around the interwebs was the definition of the term system QB. It was used in regards to Tua. People fired back hilariously about usage of it with Josh Allen. I would like to take a stab at a point regarding system quarterbacks. Every quarterback is a system quarterback. Every single quarterback in the NFL is a system quarterback. Why? Because the overwhelming majority of every play they make will be successful or unsuccessful within the structure of the offense. That Houdini stuff we talked about week one with Josh Allen, how, hey, play within the system. There are only five, seven plays a game where Josh Allen does any of that Houdini stuff. All the rest of it occurs within the normal structure of the offense. If you are an offense and you run 80 plays in a game, 74 of them are probably things that occur within the system. It's you running the system. Now, the system can be different from quarterback to quarterback, but every quarterback, if you're drawing a plurality pie for a quarterback, every quarterback has the overwhelming majority labeled as system. They're doing things that the play is telling them to do. That is, by definition, a system quarterback. They are functioning within the structure of the system. Now, the system is obviously designed differently for Josh Allen, and traits give you options. We've talked about this before. But we have consistently seen quarterbacks get swapped out with other quarterbacks in the same system and not perform nearly as well. We saw it with the Dolphins. Tua went down. The people that replaced Tua were not nearly as effective as Tua because they're not as accurate as Tua. They don't have the anticipation that Tua has. System quarterback is used as a derogatory term with the idea that you are replaceable. I can swap you out with any reasonable quarterback, even base level quarterback play, and get the same results because of the system. Even though that has never proven to be true literally ever, ever. But somehow we still do it. That has never proven to be true. Ever. 
Every single offense is different from quarterback to quarterback. The 49ers, oh, well, you can plug anybody in and get that same result. Uh, No. Have you seen the heat maps and the passing charts for Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy? They don't look the same. They're making different throws. It's different with Purdy than with Garoppolo. I'm not even talking about better or worse. I'm talking qualitatively, it looks different. Now, obviously, you still see similar route combinations. You still see some of that Shanahan stuff. Obviously, that's the case. But Purdy is taking different throws. He's making different decisions. He has different skill set than Jimmy Garoppolo. And as such, the result will look different. Even if quantitatively, it looks similar. Even if you have the fifth-ranked offense, and then you move somebody, and you have the fifth-ranked offense. Qualitatively, it still looks different. You got there a different way. Well, Bruce, if quantitatively it's the fifth ranked, the fifth ranked, then that means system quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen in 2021 had similar numbers to Josh Allen in 2022. Do you think it looked the same? Because I don't think it looked the same. It looked very different, in my opinion. And I think most people who watched it said it looked very different. The results ended up looking similar, but qualitatively it was different. Because it's always going to be different quarterback to quarterback because there is no such thing as a quarterback that is entirely a function of a system. Not in the NFL. Josh Allen is not a system quarterback. But neither is Tua or Jimmy Garoppolo or Jalen Hurts or any of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. Because when everybody's a system quarterback, nobody's a system quarterback. That's the Incredibles nod there syndrome what a what a great villain i mean let's be honest monologuing is entirely podcasting right that's what i'm doing i'm monologuing for 25 minutes just like syndrome great movie still to this day totally holds up we're gonna take a quick break stick with me we got stew to talk about we'll be right back vacations can be tricky you already know how to book flights and hotels but now the only thing you're missing is you know the actual travel experience because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home you need a tool to get the most out of your time away that's where viator steps in you can book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We touched on some topics, and now we're going to do stew. We're going to make up the stew. It should not surprise you that Josh Allen shows up very high on the QB stew rankings, but there are some surprises. So we're going to start from the bottom and work our way up. Start at the bottom, and now we're here. Number 32, Desmond Ritter. 31, Bryce Young. 30, Joe Burrow. Yes, the he and the Bengals offense have been playing as badly as you think they have. Yes, the calf is a significant part of that, and he also didn't take any preseason reps. So yes, Rusty, not playing well. 29, Daniel Jones, to the surprise of no one, who could have possibly predicted that a quarterback would be due for regression like Daniel Jones. 28, Kenny Pickett. 27, Zach Wilson. I have a sneaking suspicion if I would have done these calculations before Zach Wilson's game against the Kansas City Chiefs, he would have been a little bit lower. 26, Ryan Tannehill. 25, Mac Jones. 24, Derek Carr has not been, so far, the savior that the New Orleans Saints wanted him to be. 23, Justin Fields has not had the breakout with the addition of DJ Moore, although he played really well the last time he played. 22, Sam Howell. 21, Anthony Richardson. 20, Deshaun Watson. Still not getting that elite 2020 level of Deshaun Watson that you wanted to. I had a podcast that I did with Jay Spence the King before the season started. I had Watson ranked really low, and they were like, whoa, what's going on? I said, listen, guys, it's been a really long time since we've seen elite-level play from Deshaun Watson. Like a really long time. Maybe he's just washed. Now, we can expect a bounce back, but I'm not going to predict it. I'll just acknowledge it when it gets here. So far, we're still waiting. 19, Jimmy Garoppolo. 18, Jordan Love. I think we can, should kind of pump the brakes a little bit on Jordan Love being for sure the dude in Green Bay. He's been fine. He's gotten a lot of help from that LaFleur system. I really think that Matt LaFleur has done a remarkable job of scheming up things and making things easy for Jordan Love. Um, they should run the ball a little bit more. 17, Trevor Lawrence. A little disappointing after the way he finished last year. He finished the year eighth last year. So far, hasn't quite come together the way it wants to. Um, the offensive line has been a problem, but they're getting some help on that front. 16, Matt Stafford. 15, Jalen Hurts. Also a drop-off. You wonder if that's a Shane Steichen effect. No longer has the offensive coordinator help him out a little bit. So maybe some work through going to happen there. 14, Kirk Cousins. 13, Dak Prescott. They should always be close together. Always. Because they're very similar quarterbacks. 12, Geno Smith. 11, Josh Dobbs. That's right. Josh Dobbs at 11. Now there's two ways to look at this. Number one, the Cardinals head coach, who everyone admits is kind of dorky and comes off kind of awkward, maybe he's just coaching the ever-living crap out of that team. Maybe Jonathan Gannon is just a guy. Because Josh Dobbs has literally never been this good. And that leads you to the next question. How good is Kyler Murray going to be when he gets to play in an offense that's not a Cliff Kingsbury offense? 10, C.J. Stroud. 100% he's been as good as we advertised. C.J. Stroud was my QB1. I'm thrilled that he's playing well. I'm also thrilled because C.J. Stroud is a great example of why you should stop scouting the helmet. I'm so sick and tired. 
every single draft cycle of saying, oh, well, you know, Ohio State quarterbacks, please stop. I, 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 can't, I can't even tell you enough how much I want you to stop. It makes no logical sense at all. Wyoming never had a good quarterback until Josh Allen. Like, that's just not the way this works. That's not the way any of this works. But no matter how many examples we have, we're still going to do it again. Just like the conversation earlier this podcast. No matter how many examples we have of how scouting the helmet ends up terribly wrong because it's, oh, it's never true until it's true. No matter how many examples we have of that, we're still going to turn around and do it. Like we're going to do it in six months and I'm going to pull my hair out. Nine, Lamar Jackson. Shockingly, he's still good. Eight, Patrick Mahomes. Seven, Baker Mayfield. Dave Canales is going to get himself a head coaching job. He has overseen the resurrection of Geno Smith, and he has overseen the resurrection of Baker Mayfield. Baker's playing better right now than I've ever seen him play, literally ever. Not even rookie year Baker Mayfield, where the Browns were 100% convinced they got it right. This is the best version of Baker Mayfield. Now, obviously, probably due for a regression. I don't think Baker Mayfield is suddenly going to become a top seven quarterback in the NFL. But even if he ended up at 11 or 12, they would be thrilled with that based on their investment, based on what they got, based on the fact that you can absolutely evaluate the rest of the offense with quarterback play like that. Yeah, good for Baker Mayfield. Six, Russell Wilson. Maybe he can play and Nathaniel Hackett's just a terrible head coach. Russell Wilson can play. Five, Jared Goff. Love to see it. Love to see it. Four, Justin Herbert playing out of his ever-living mind this year. Herbert is playing out of his mind and is being held back by not great coaching and not great defense, and they're just charging all the time. Three, Brock Purdy. Jimmy Garoppolo was never here. Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't top three, literally ever. It's a different offense with Brock Purdy. Two, Josh Allen. There's our boy. Number one, Tua Tagovailoa. You shouldn't be shocked. Tua was top three last year and got off to a ridiculous start. Do I think this will level out eventually? Yeah, I probably do. Josh Allen ranked third in QBR, third in passer rating, ninth in average net yards per attempt, third in EPA per play, third in DVOA, fifth in PFF grade, and first in CPOE. I'd like to point out him being first in CPOE, which is completion percentage over expectation. When you make a throw as a quarterback, there is an expectation, a bar level set based on where you are, where the receiver is, and how far that receiver is downfield, how far they are from the quarterback, and how far the closest defender is from that player. There is a baseline expectation for the percentage on which that will be completed. Josh Allen is exceeding that expectation by more than any other quarterback. He's making really good throws. He's not getting schemed up massively wide open people. I think Ken Dorsey's doing a good job, but it's not it's not easy for Josh Allen. Josh Allen's still making good throws. To put that in perspective, Tua is second in QBR, second in passer rating, first in average net yard per attempt, second in EPA per play, first in DBOA, first in PFF grade, and sixth in CPOE. Why? Because sometimes he's throwing the ball to Tyreek Hill when there's no one within 15 yards of him. Like when that happens, there's a certain expectation that that ball is going to be completed. That's the reason why that happens. That doesn't mean Tua is a system quarterback. That just means that some of the throws that Tua has made were to more open receivers because you have those kind of speedsters. And the Buffalo Bills have really good skill position players, but they don't have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle when it comes to the speed aspect. Stephon Diggs is a great player. 
but that's going to have an impact on things like this. So after absolutely laying an egg and being very rightfully criticized after week one for not playing overly well, Josh Allen's played so well the next three games that he still ends up second on the list. He had a stinker and still ended up second on the list. Tua hasn't even had a stinker yet. The game against the Bills for Tua was not nearly as bad as Josh Allen's game against the Jets. Josh Allen, that should tell you how well he's been playing over the last three weeks. So well that it can help overwrite how bad week one was and jump him into the top two of QB Stew. Given the fact that we don't have an overwhelmingly dominating quarterback play right now, the gap between Tua and Josh Allen is not significantly high. When things like this happen, this makes me wonder. I don't want to jinx it, but this makes me wonder if maybe this is the MVP year for Josh Allen. Because the last time that I thought Josh Allen was really meaningfully in the MVP conversation was the year, well, one of the years, when Aaron Rodgers went just absolutely nuclear. And I would have given it to Aaron Rodgers too. And he got it and he deserved it. He was number one in stew. But had he not gone nuclear, I think that Josh Allen would have won MVP. This year, I'm not sure if there's a quarterback that's going to do that. Tua was doing that, but again, he went nuclear against the, the Broncos. That doesn't take anything away from that. It's just that you're not going to have a historically bad defense every single week. I still think Tua's going to end up in the top four, top five this year because he did last year. I don't know why he wouldn't this year. I think Josh Allen's going to end up high too. And I think there's a very reasonable chance Josh Allen overtakes him. And I think there's a chance that um, this could be the year based on what we talked about. But if not, let's be honest. We'd all take a Super Bowl champion, Josh Allen, over an MVP, Josh Allen. I know I would. Last thing, plurality pie. Sean McDermott, 22%. Josh Allen, 21%. Stephon Diggs, 19%. Matt Milano, 17%. Offensive line as a whole, because I can't really pull one person out, 8%. Ed Oliver, 7%. Other 6%. I want to talk about Sean McDermott for a quick second as part of this plurality pie. I understand that having an offensive-minded head coach who calls plays can help create stability around your quarterback. And that's important. I think that's a good thing. And if we're being completely honest, and if everything else is in a vacuum, I would prefer that too. I think it creates stability at an important position. Because otherwise your offensive coordinators just keep getting stolen to be head coaches somewhere. And it just doesn't quite work out the way you want it to. Unless you make your quarterback your offensive coordinator and they all just kind of come in and learn the Josh Allen system. But that's not always easy to do. So in an ideal world where everything's in a vacuum, I would prefer that too. But can we stop with the idea that there's no value in having defensive-minded head coaches? We live in an NFL that is more about offense than it's ever been, which means your defensive coordinators are going to get the short end of the stick every time. Defense is already harder to play when it comes to offense. The rules are slanted towards offense. The deck is stacked against a defensive-minded head coach. If you can find an advantage by having a defensive-minded head coach, can we stop poo-pooing that? Can we stop pretending like there's no value in having a coach who calls defensive plays? 
and we just want there to be a coach that calls offensive plays. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just was very honest with you and said that in an ideal world, in a vacuum, I would prefer that too. But everyone's going to talk about the Buffalo Bills like they somehow laid out a blueprint for beating the Miami Dolphins. Newsflash to the rest of the NFL. You don't have the blueprint because you don't have Sean McDermott. You don't have Matt Milano. You don't have a secondary that communicates that well. That is completely unflustered by the motion of the Miami Dolphins. Do you know why they're not flustered? Because they're well coached. That's why. Not everyone can do what Sean McDermott did. So can we please give the man a little flowers? I'm not saying let's like, you know, fawn over him forever and he's still got work to do. Everyone's got work to do. But can we stop pretending that there's no value in the things that Sean McDermott brings to this team? I think I ranked him, gosh, the ninth or 11th best head coach. I'm not like fawning and saying he's the best head coach in the league, but there's value to what Sean McDermott brings and he just proved it. He just did something that previously people thought they didn't know if they could have it. Oh, this Dolphins offense is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. It looked fairly stoppable against Sean McDermott. There's value in what he does. What if Josh Allen hadn't gone nuclear? What if the Bills had only scored 24 points? They still would have been able to get out of that because of Sean McDermott. They still would have been able to walk out of that building with a W because of Sean McDermott. And they have some good personnel on the defensive side. But the Leslie Frazier... Same personnel looked a lot worse. Let's give the man some flowers. Not all the flowers. I'm not being unreasonable. But let's stop pretending that the only way to have success and the only thing that has value is the thing that we prefer. Just because we prefer it doesn't mean we can dismiss everything that is exists outside our preference and saying that doesn't have value. It's like saying, what do you want for dinner? I want McDonald's. Ah, oh, well, we can't, we can't have McDonald's. Well, then everything else is garbage. What's that? Steak? Crap. What's that? A bagel with cream cheese? Terrible. A nice glass of water? Terrible. Why? Because it's not what I preferred. Can we stop living in the world where there's just things that you prefer and then everything else is garbage? So yes, I understand the logic that you prefer an offensive-minded head coach specifically for stability around Josh Allen. I completely understand. I agree with the sentiment. Gosh, it was kind of nice to have Sean McDermott then, wasn't it? I was pretty happy to have Sean McDermott then. I think he's a good head coach. I think he's a good defensive mind. I think he did a good job. Let's give the man some flowers. I am running behind, but we are going to try to get emails. Joe sends me a message and says, Bruce, I wonder if it's time to start talking more positively again about Bean and his ability to craft a team. A lot of us loved him at first, especially after getting Allen and Edmonds in the first round and how he was able to shed salaries after year one. But the last two years or so, it has cooled. People noted how many running backs he drafted. There was concern about overdrafting DEs, line play, sunk costs, etc. But in the last year, Epinesa looked good at the end of last year and beginning of this one. His recent running back, Cook, is starting and producing. He drafted Bernard. The DL looks amazing. The O-line looks improved. Torrance looks good. And Kincaid will be an asset. 
He made the right decision on who to pay between Edmonds and Oliver. Plus, we can be happy we paid Allen when we did. There's really not a ton to criticize anymore, it seems. So much has panned out so far this year. With a massive caveat that while Bernard is amazing so far, we should pump the brakes and realize he's not an all-pro yet, but a discussion for another day. Should we go back to calling him a much better GM like we did in the past? This is exactly what we talked about this offseason. When I said, hey, you know, B needs to hit a homer or two. But all that can change in a hurry. That was my last point. All that can change in a hurry. And I specifically brought up the Chiefs. I said, look, they went through this lull and then bam, bam, two draft classes back to back. All of a sudden, bam, they're right back on it. It can all change in a hurry. So, yeah, is the answer. I mean, let's let's give it this year. Let's see how it plays out. Torrance, Bernard, players like that. But right now, yeah, it's looking like it turned the corner. Luke says, hey, Bruce, do you have an all-time favorite game film? Is this past Miami game up there with your all-time favorites? Yeah, Bills Dolphins is up there. My personal favorite is Bills Patriots, the no punt game. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. I don't I don't really know how you beat that from an offensive standpoint. Defensively, this might be one of my favorites. I know that the the Dolphins score 20 points, but defensively, I really enjoyed. I'm actually made popcorn this time. And so that's not something I actually typically do. Vince says, hey, Bruce, we should fire McDermott. And sarcasm. Yeah, no, and give the man his flowers. Jameis sent me a note and said, hey, Bruce, thanks for helping make me a more informed football fan and Bills fan. I really appreciate you. He asked about pass rush and coverage. I just want you to know, Jameis, that the first segment about pass rush and coverage in this pod was specifically because you sent me this email and I was already kind of planning on touching on it, but I touched on it a lot stronger because you sent this email. So I hope that answered your question and gave you the, the comments that you wanted. Eric says, Hey Bruce, longtime listener, really appreciate your insight in the bills every week. Your podcast is truly the one I look forward to because it doesn't get bogged down in the prevailing whims of bills mafia. If I wanted that, I'd listen to WGR. He says, I had a chance to watch the all 22 this week and I really focused on digs. I understand that he was basically schooling subpar competition who was playing out of his element on the outside where he's usually a nickel, but my God, he's a monster. His third touchdown was an incredible piece of route running. Allen said it himself. They should have co-offensive player of the week because Diggs absolutely deserve that honor this week. My question stems from this. Since I know you like to apply statistics and metrics to football, I'm curious of your answer. Does the QB make the receiver or does the receiver make the QB? Obviously, it's going to be some kind of gray area here. I guess another way of presenting it, can you do a plurality pie for Josh Allen's success and how much of that is attributable to Diggs? Wide receivers don't make quarterbacks, ever. That's not a thing that happens. I did an entire podcast on how Stephon Diggs didn't make Josh Allen because no wide receiver has ever made a quarterback literally ever. There's statistical data on this because you're looking for players who made a jump when a receiver came to them, and then you're trying to watch the way that they reacted when that same receiver left, and there's never a drop-off that's equivalent to the jump. Donovan McNabb is a great example of this when he got T.O. and then all of a sudden he blew up. When T.O. left, he was still really good. They don't, they don't, wide receivers don't make quarterbacks. They do make quarterbacking easier. So for me, if I was doing a plurality pie of Josh Allen's success, an overwhelming majority of it would be Josh Allen. And I would say Sean McDermott is a big part of that. And I'd say Stephon Diggs is a part of that. But I wouldn't put Stephon Diggs as a you know, 40, 50%. I, I put him somewhere in the 
15 to 18% range. And Stephon Diggs is amazing. It's just that receivers don't make quarterbacks. That's just not a thing that happens. They help. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell help with Tua. Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel help with Brock Purdy. It's hard to win without them because you need targets to throw the ball to. But overwhelmingly, it's more weighted toward a quarterback offensive system than it is the receiver. We're going to finish it off with Evan's prediction. Evan says, hey, it's a busy day for this weather reporter slash arc enthusiast, but I won't let our middle linebacker down with his upcoming transatlantic trip, otherwise occupying his time. This will be quick. In the Josh Allen Bowl rematch, London edition, the Bills will match their score from the last game on the first drive. Kincaid finally gets his first touchdown. Buffalo proceeds to do this again six times with Diggs and Davis each getting two touchdowns and Latavius Murray rumbling in from 22 yards out while the team is trying to close out the game. Six sacks from the defense. No, Vaughn doesn't record one as he doesn't dress because 90% probability in Vontimism translates to 9% in reality. Bills win 49-17. I don't think Vaughn will play this week either because he's always saying that he's super optimistic and Sean McDermott is probably there specifically to stop him from doing those things that he feels like would would harm him long term. And, you know, if he wants to go and Sean McDermott doesn't let him, that's okay. You know, just look him in the eye and say, Vaughn, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockets. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.